anti-Trump protests raging late into the night, begging the question, are we coming together? Are, are we more divided than ever? From New York to California and right here in the Valley, anger, outrage, and frustration spilling into the streets as people respond in their own way to the election results. I like to be in America, okay by me in America, everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Oh, it is a choice between division or unity. credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. I have my own washing machine. What will you have though to keep clean? Now it's time for America to bind the wounds of division. Have to get together. Between strong, steady leadership or a loose cannon who could risk everything. Skyscrapers blooming up. I am betting that tomorrow you will reject fear and you'll choose hope. I'm betting that the wisdom and decency and generosity of the American people will once again win the day. Anti-Trump vandalism has one Phoenix neighborhood concerned. A local Trump supporter saying he has received death threats. All while protesters continue to take the streets, refusing to accept election results. Some even calling for class war. What do we want? Class war! When do we want it? Now! Lots of new housing with more space. Lots of doors slamming in our face. I'll get a terrorist apartment. Better get rid of your accent. Tell us what you're worried about. I'm worried that our, our that our racist president is gonna deport my family back to uh, back to their homelands. It's not right. We have we have the right to be here. No one should ever be back to deported or where they come from. Donald Trump has needs to leave the White House. He needs to be impeached. Life can be bright in America if you can fight in America. Life is alright in America if you're all white in America. feel really vulnerable. I'm not a white guy and I'm not rich. To wake up and see that bigotry and oppression and misogyny and racism has won in our state and nationwide was deeply upsetting and traumatizing. I say it is time for us to come together as one united people. Time. Were these protesters against Trump or against the will of the voters? Well, since this morning, actually, I woke up upset knowing that we're going to have a presidential a president that condones racism, fascism, bigotry, and. As a woman and as a Latina, I feel very um, upset and oppressed. Obviously the forecast did not predict this outcome and a lot of us don't really know what else to do. So we're just here doing what we can do. They use Maria for an excuse to start World War III. It is more than we, America, 
up because we didn't elect Bernie Sanders, who stood by everyone. We are protesting for the things that he believes in and for the reason that people voted for him. What should be done about it? Uh, impeachment. We need to stay single for a while as a country. We don't need a president. was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president. We don't want him there. How would that happen? You elected a fascist, essentially. And you look at history and you look at when Mussolini and Hitler were elected and you say, how did the whole world sit there and watch this happen? Here you are free and you have pride. Long as you stay on your own side. Free to be anything you choose. And if the California environmental values aren't spread out to the rest of the country, the whole planet is screwed. It's about a whole issue. It's about respect. It's a global yeah. issue. Global issue. Respecting our neighbors. Everywhere crime in America. Organized crime in America. Terrible time in America. You forget I'm in America. We have to take care of the planet, we have to take care of water, we have to take care of children, we have to take care of the future. Without these implementations in our system, we're extremely doomed. And that is negative for the effect of our society and the children. A lot of us, especially I think as young people, are really shocked and not okay with this decision, not okay with our system. We're here to speak out. We're here to um, really create the revolution that we know is possible. A lot of people here, they can't handle that their candidate didn't win because throughout life we've given them participation medals and now there's no participation medal in the general election. I go back to San Juan. I know a boat you can get on. Bye-bye. I want to say that I've been very vocal for my support for everyone besides Donald Trump. Heavily supported Bernie, heavily supported Hillary. And I still think that in her lifetime she deserves to be the first female president. And that's what makes me so sad. Is that I just wish that she had that opportunity because she's fought for so long. Everyone there will give big cheer. Everyone there will have moved here. If we don't fight, who's gonna fight for us? People had to die for freedom where we're at today. We can't just do rallies, we have to fight back. There will be casualties on both sides. There will be because people have to die to make a change in this yeah. world. But Trump, enough with your racism. Stop splitting families. Let, don't split my family. Everybody, hey, hey, listen up. Hey, 
I told you to be focused and you're not focused right now. Listen to what I'm saying. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Everybody sit down and be quiet for a second. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network. This is 160, the number of this episode, and the title of this episode is Hail to the Deplorables. That audio montage uh, should put you in the right frame of mind, the right mood. That's what it was like to endure uh, the last week. Uh, of media coverage uh, pre and post election it was it's been absolute mayhem and uh, we're going to get into the post-mortem of the election on this uh, weekend show and uh, we're also going to have a few guests join us uh, people uh, commentators uh, one from the west coast in the united states to give us a take on what's going on there we'll be joined by randy J at the top of the uh, second hour i believe and he's a regular commentator on the boiler room on acr and also across the pond, uh, we'll be connecting with Basil Valentine to get reactions from Europe on the uh, historic uh, election. And it is historic in many ways. Uh, for some people, it'll be a historic nightmare. Uh, and for others, it'll be historic in terms of uh, this is the first ever uh, non-politician uh, to win the office of uh, presidency in the United States. Completely unprecedented. Uh, so d- definitely... Uh, along the lines of uh, something for the history books and something that every man, every man can relate with. So we will have our every man as well on the top of the second hour. Randy J is going to join us. Wow, what an amazing week. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, without belaboring this point too much, but I did watch the election unfold on a number of media outlets and to be quite honest, I, I it didn't really sink in. I can't, I couldn't the the ring of it. It was almost a fait accompli that that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Uh, all the media said it was a slam dunk. I saw one poll earlier in the week that was an odds poll. Is seventy seventy percent uh, chance of Hillary Clinton winning. Trump had best odds at twenty eight percent, and Trump was written off by the the totality of the establishment media. I think there's only one media outlet that showed to some degree of positivity, uh, which was Fox news, uh, who had been saying for a couple of weeks that they didn't believe the polls were accurate. And they kept pointing out that a number of uh, key tracking polls that had predicted a correct outcome in the last four elections, uh, they had picked Donald Trump to win and CNN and Washington post and all the other ABC and all these other polls are saying, well, it's gonna, it might be close uh, a few days before, but there's no way Trump can win. But yet all these other polls who were correct in previous elections called it. And it was very interesting to see as it unfolded uh, the jaws dropping at CNN. And one thing I, I can point out, Boiler Room had a live feed on during election night, and we jumped in there for a few minutes, but... One of the things that I observed, which was interesting, was that CNN 
was basically sandbagging the whole night. So they were basically reporting about an hour to an hour and a half later on results that would already had already been reported through other media outlets internationally. And so why were they doing this? Were they trying to basically hold the ratings? Probably this is one possibility. Uh, the other possibility is to give this false impression, or maybe they themselves couldn't believe what they were seeing, and they were just holding back all the results um, in the event that somehow uh, there would be some miraculous uh, recovery uh, by Hillary Clinton. And you know which network, and even Fox was, was a little bit slow to the take, which network called the election first? Uh, before anybody else, uh, technically it was actually the, the network that called it was AP. AP gave the decision on Pennsylvania, called it in favor of Trump, and those were the electoral votes needed to secure the, the uh, 270 in the Electoral College. And so AP called Pennsylvania the first international media outlet to highlight the AP story was RT International. So you have a, it's a bizarre situation, and I think another UK media outlet. So you have this bizarre situation where the US media keeps a blindfold over the American public until the very last minute, or, or if ever they'll give us a peek. Who knows? But isn't that strange? And so we were just sitting there watching, and it wasn't two hours later CNN finally conceded and said, yeah, it looks like Trump's won took two hours. So are they just milk trying to milk it for the ad revenue or the ratings or what? Who knows? But um, that was interesting. So it's a big shock. It was a big shock. You could the, the entire mainstream media worked to undermine and to demonize not only the candidate, but this candidate's supporters as well. The Democratic Party worked to marginalize them to demonize them to to make the, the the rest of the public think that anybody that voted for donald trump is a racist a homophobe a misogynist and a fascist okay and it, this was such an effective brainwashing operation and it, it was months in the making and you can see the results of it on the streets of america this weekend and it's incredible. It's incredible. And we, we give you that audio, beautiful audio montage, which I'll title Trump's America uh, in the opening part of the show and uh, with the West Side Story uh, backdrop. So it's quite, it's quite an extraordinary story. It's quite an extraordinary story. And uh, it's left a lot of people confounded completely. And it's... There's, I don't know, we're going to get to some, some clips in a minute, but they completely silenced a whole section of the population. 29% of Latinos, or what they would call Hispanic Americans, 29%, one out of three, voted for, guess who, Donald Trump. So he surpassed and exceeded the performance by previous Republican candidates, we were told by the media that no Latinos would vote for Donald Trump, that no women would vote for Donald Trump. Donald Trump, for all intents and purposes, won the women vote uh, in terms of uh, middle class in America. 
Um, I would say he, I, I saw 53% of white college-educated women voted for not Hillary Clinton, who you'd think they'd uh, have this natural affinity with, but Donald Trump. And 8% of the black population voted for, guess who, Donald Trump. Uh, those aren't big numbers, mind you, but, you know, roughly one out of ten. That's with all the avalanche of negativity. And we're going to look, just to, uh, we're going to hit hit the media side first, and we've got some other clips we're going to share with you. But this is a P1 part, this, this audio clip is P1. This is on uh, CNN this morning. Uh, CNN's doing a major mea culpa. Brian Stetler, who's their media analyst, I don't know why you need a program like that on CNN, but there you go. They should be actually doing some investigative reporting, but we know that they don't like to do that. So this is um, this is Molly Hemingway from The Federalist, and she's pretty much laid, laid it down as it was. And the media is so important in this campaign because it really showed this was a referendum uh, in many ways against the media, uh, against the establishment uh, pre-digested uh, view of the world and what politics should look like and how it should be reported and what we should believe from every minute to minute every day. So this is part one of Seltzer, uh, Brian Seltzer, Stetler, I can't even pronounce his name. Um, he's that annoying sort of uh, chipmunk-looking character on CNN's Reliable Sources. But go ahead and roll part one, P1 of uh, Seltzer. Listen to this. This is Molly Hemingway from The Federalist. And then there's an anti-media, and I want to get into that as the hour rolls on here. Molly, I want to ask you a question about this. I, I want to know from you, as a, as a conservative writer at The Federalist, how much of this do you chalk up to wishful thinking? Because I do believe there were a lot of journalists, most journalists, who were fearful of a Trump presidency, who were engaging in wishful thinking, believing he couldn't be elected, and that's partly why so many viewers were in shock on Wednesday morning to wake up to President-elect Trump. Yes, this was a complete failure at every step of the process during this entire campaign. The media definitely, they, they clearly and overtly and even told us that they wanted Hillary to win, and they gambled everything, including their credibility, on defeating Donald Trump and electing Hillary Clinton, and they lost. And now, where does that leave everybody? Who is what the they? Do? Who is the they you're referring to? The New York Times had on the front page of their paper in the middle of August that you couldn't give Donald Trump a fair shake. Nobody with eyes or ears could have any question what the media felt about Donald Trump, what they felt about his voters. Even something as simple as, for some reason, apparently, people in Washington and New York newsrooms had a really high view of Hillary Clinton that was unmatched in the entire rest of the country. So you had people in our newsrooms, in our major national media, Media, telling us things that we knew were not true. I don't know what the media can do now to regain its credibility. Let's ask Jeff Greenfield. Jeff, uh, you've been studying the press okay. for decades. What okay, so that was, uh, she, she pretty much laid it down. That really encapsulates, and this is where we're going to start in our, in our course post-mortem. The protests that you see out on the street today and this weekend, okay, and I'll, I'll get into who's, who helped organize them and how it's centrally organized. Uh, through the Democratic Party machine. Um, but the people who are out there who are just shocked, the reason all these college students need therapy, the reason they're, se they're sending therapy dogs to uh, students at KU and even to Washington, D.C., to help Democratic staffers on Capitol Hill cope with the trauma, the emotional trauma of um, the election result, 
students at Yale are asking for to have their midterm exams pushed forward, uh, asking for a week off class. In many other universities, there students petitioning not to attend class because of the they're emotionally upset about the election result and the fact that Donald Trump won the presidency of the United States, 45th president. And what happened to Hillary? My goodness. So you know, the, the reason they're all out of their heads and completely whacked out over this result is because they've been in the same bubble that the media has basically that the media is inflated. That information bubble inflated by the media, this false perception that it's going to be a landslide victory for Hillary Clinton and all the polls it's proven have completely oversampling Democratic voters uh, in many of these polls, giving a false positive for Hillary Clinton in so many of these polls. And so what we have is a situation where polls, which are meant to reflect the public mood and the public uh, perception Instead, the polls are being used to shape the public opinion and the public perception. And in the same way, the way the press is supposed to reflect news and events which are happening and to report on uh, things that are going on with with people on the ground and in real places and real people. Instead, now the media, the uh, the so-called press, is is trying to shape public opinion with their spin, okay? And I have never seen so much lying uh, in the last few years, especially as we reported on this show uh, over Syria and America's role in that, America's allies' role in that. I've never seen so much overt lying and, you know, just complete willful deception on their part. And it showed on this election. It showed the disconnect. Uh, and so all these kids who are out protesting, who really most of them don't know why, um, who are you know out defending the establishment in Hillary Clinton, you know, getting behind her, you know, like Miley Cyrus was uh, the pop star was crying in the uh, intro in Trump's America or intro sequence there, and she's so upset because I supported Bernie and then I jumped over to Hillary and she lost too and oh my God, what do we do? I'm going to leave America. You know, the Canadian immigration website apparently crashed on election night because people were going and making inquiries. And uh, I spoke to some Canadians, and they said, no, thank you, we don't want you. (laughs) But so many celebrities got... So Hillary Clinton had the Hollywood, the entertainment establishment. She had Wall Street. She had the mainstream media. She had the entire political establishment, including most of the Republican Party behind her. She had the neoconservatives behind her. She had all of this behind her, and it was a done deal. They were telling people, oh, you, you know, don't even practically, they are saying don't bother voting because Trump will never win. And he did win by a very slim margin. He did not uh, win on the popular vote. He won in the Electoral College. I don't want to get into the ins and outs of how the U.S. system is constructed here. That's another show on its own. But... If you take away California, Donald Trump won the popular vote by uh, a fairly comfortable margin. Okay, California is a bit of an outlier. And hence, you have a lot of people in California completely raising Cain this weekend. They're out saying that we should secede from the union. And uh, most Republicans are, are in people who voted for Trump 
are sort of chuckling under their breath, thinking, wow, if only California could leave the union, uh, then <laughs> because then the, uh, the the Democratic Party would pretty much be dead on arrival. California is the only thing, it's the only state really because of the huge amount of Democrat support and the large population and the overwhelming number of electoral votes, California pretty much can guarantee uh, a Democratic president uh, if if as long as they just take a few other states. So it's this, there is a very lopsided electoral map and demographic in America and people complaining, say, oh, my God, all these red states and there's not enough blue states. So really the, the Democratic stronghold is only California and New York and uh, the Northeast, New England, I guess. And uh, now Donald Trump has basically obliterated the electoral map as it once was, to taking Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio, uh, unprecedented in many decades. And so that's it. The, the America is very divided, okay? And a lot of people have not come to grips with this yet and don't really understand the, how profound this division is. And the media have been trying to give the false impression by inflating this other America, which you see on television screens, you, and you tune into all these TV networks. And so this week after the election, instead of showing Donald Trump meeting with President Obama, which we'll show you that clip in a minute, um, instead they're showing all these protests. One of them was in Portland, and we heard the police uh, spokesman at 3 in the morning saying, there's only 200 people out here. They're black block. They're not have anything to do with the election. They show up at every protest to smash windows and to, you know, torch cars and things like this and, you know, build barricades in the middle of the street. And we're trying to get rid of these guys so that people can get home and get to work in the morning. And when you watch the coverage on CNN or MSNBC, it looks like they're all, you know, it's, this is the anti-Trump protest. 200 anarchists that go to every event uh, around Seattle and Portland who showed up. Uh, probably There's probably a few FBI informants uh, mixed in there as well in the agent provocateurs, as, as is usual. And so it gives a false impression. So, but those who are out protesting and marching, there's, the reason they were in shock is because they were given a false impression of reality. They, they they haven't gone across the media haven't gone to the heartlands of America they haven't gone to rural America they haven't gone to forty eight other states the whole of the media is concentrated in New York City in Washington D C and Los Angeles that is the national media in the U S and these people are completely out of touch with the rest of the country that's exactly what we saw with this election that's why it it played out the way it did. That's my opinion, okay? And the numbers, I think, back up my opinion on that. So so that false impression that they had, that Clinton supporters had, that it was going to be a slam dunk and all the celebrities were showing up and getting very cocky the last week, that false impression is carried on to the protests afterwards. And, and MoveOn.org is a arm of the Democratic Party, created by uh, partly by Howard Dean, I think, in 2000 after the 2004 uh, election. And 
They're organizing street protests across the country. They're running petitions for abolish the Electoral College. So that's a Democratic Party community organizing portal that's calling for the abolishing of the Electoral College. Now, it, it has been in the past shown that the some presidents have lost the popular vote but won the electoral vote. It's happened five times in history. Okay. There were no calls to ban the electoral. Well, there have been calls actually to reform or to get rid of the electoral college. And it's it's definitely something that should be looked at and should be up for debate. But it's not an easy thing to do. That would take a constitutional amendment. And that's not going to happen in the next four years. It's not going to happen in the next eight years, quite frankly. But it should should definitely be looked at. I'm sure there, there's possibility that system can be improved. But these kids who are out protesting get the they get the impression because of the f- echo chamber on Facebook and Twitter, and because of the the partners in CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, that were pretty much anti-Trump from the get-go. They're still anti-Trump. And so everyone's still got this false impression that they're in the majority, and they're not. And that's the disconnect. So just as an adjunct, here's part two. This is uh, P2. This is Seltzer part two. Here's uh, the final discussion on that media topic uh, with Molly Hemingway from from The Federalist. Go ahead and roll that. Listen to this. Many different factors. Is one of them, Jeff, a false equivalence, the idea that Hillary Clinton's emails and other controversies were treated as the same as Trump's many misstatements and offensive remarks? Um, I certainly think in terms of coverage that's true. But I think the other part was that that the normal way that I've always assumed the press worked, it's described in a book called The Gamble, Rise, Scrutiny, Decline. The press reveals facts that damage a candidate. The public says, oh, no, uh, we can't accept that candidate. I think to some extent what a lot of us, me, thought were disabling aspects about Trump, his supporters said, no, that's him, and we're so desperate for change that we're going to go with him. So I'm not, I'm not sure I buy the false equivalence thing, except in terms of the quantity of the coverage. Molly, what do you think? The very term false equivalency should die in a fire, and the proof is that Donald Trump has been elected president. This is another thing the media kept pushing the idea that to talk about Hillary Clinton compromising national security for her own personal gain was some false equivalency with all these horrible things that Donald Trump had done. The people aren't buying what the media are selling anymore, and it's something that actually goes quite beyond just the coverage of this campaign. But going back to previous elections, where people have so clearly put their fingers on the scale, media people have put their fingers on the scale in support of one candidate over another. And I just, it alarms me to even hear this term used again after what we learned on Tuesday. Can I add a word to what you said? You said people don't trust the media. I would say some people do not. There's a divide in this country and it it mirrors the electoral divide. This was a 50-50 election. No, liberals do definitely trust the media, and why shouldn't they? They get everything they want to hear from liberals. Conservatives don't, and the media in general have lower approval ratings than both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So to talk about how unliked these candidates are when we ourselves are loathed and detested for what we're doing and for how we bully people. We take people's views and we bully them, and people are sick of being bullied. They don't want to hear it anymore, and they're having to shout to get people to listen. And the really alarming thing is that a lot of people in the media aren't listening. 
evening, they're deciding to quadruple down on everything they got wrong, disparaging people who they don't understand, don't even seek to understand, and continuing to avoid dealing with you know the fundamentals of this race, what people were motivated by. They don't, they're not even interested in it. This is alarming, and the media need to wake up because it's actually a very important time to get our credibility back. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, you know whatever you think about the result of this presidential election, whether you like it or not, what you just heard there was a conversation that could never be had in mainstream media only a week ago. That was a point of view that was not allowed to be aired, would never be aired. That, that anchor would come in and he'd cut her right off, as we've seen it done so many times in similar segments in the past. But now the mainstream media caught red-handed, spinning, lying, misrepresenting reality on a grand scale and, and out in the open, are now eating crow with their tail between their legs, begging the public, begging us to trust them once again. And let me tell you, that trust is not coming back anytime soon. And they do bully people. Many different media outlets bully people on different issues. Now, we are our, our tact here in this independent media outlet is to, if we're going to bully anybody, we, we want to bully the mainstream media. That, that's one of our jobs. We have to bully, we have to attack, we have to expose the mainstream media. Because you can see how important they are in the grand scheme of things in terms of shaping uh, public opinion. And if they're, if they're running propaganda 24-7, which CNN does, um, this is not in the public interest, and someone needs to be there to hold at least criticize them or hold them in check somehow, or try to anyway. And that's one of our jobs. Okay. Our other job is to go after the government in the same way, because the mainstream media is clearly not doing it. So who's going to go after the government? If the mainstream's not doing that, not really going aggressively, at government policies, some of them very destructive, then who's going to do it? Nobody's doing it. That's why we're in the mess we're in, because nobody's doing it. And especially in terms of, uh, from a U.S. perspective, in terms of foreign policy, zero accountability. They do what they want. They send the press release, the memo to CNN, to Fox, to all the rest of it, and they, their guys just take it and repeat it. And then the government sends its experts on, or the military defense industry sends in their experts to comment on it, or the CIA sends in their operatives to be the so-called experts on TV. Okay, that's the system we have now. Very corrupt. Okay, now, very rarely can we toot our own horn in terms of making an accurate prediction. But on the eve of the election, I wrote an article called... Trump versus Clinton 2016, Mickey Mouse versus Carilla DeVille. Now, I didn't know who was going to win or what the result was going to be, so I basically sketched out two scenarios. One was a Trump win, one was a Clinton win. And I, I predicted exactly what would happen uh, if either candidate won. Okay. Now, I'm going to read from that article. This was before the election, okay. And it turns out what I wrote in that article, happened exactly the day after. Let me read this. A 
if Trump wins, this is what I wrote the eve of the election or sort of the, the night before the election, as it were. But because of the time difference, I, we, I think we published it around midnight. Um, if Trump wins, the mainstream media will be in a state of shock, followed by a state of panic, followed by a state of chaos. Trump may want to unite America, but this is a near impossible task after eight years of Sharpton, Obama, abrasiveness, and artificial divisions constructed by social engineers like billionaire George Soros. If Trump wins, expect the likes of Soros and MoveOn.org to unleash wave after wave of flash mobs who will protest, riot, smash, and burn their way onto CNN's 24-hour news rotation. Expect Occupy 2.0. Expect hashtag Black Lives Matter to rage. You can also be certain that Clinton, the Democrats, and their media operatives at CNN, MSNBC, and the others will blame Vladimir Putin for hacking the elections in favor of Trump, etc. So we said exactly George Soros and MoveOn.org, we named them, would unleash flash mobs. And if you go to their website and you read their postings and you can see the centralized organization from that only one organization, there's many, okay? Labor unions are involved in organizing these protests with students as well. And believe it or not, labor unions are coming from out of state to organize high school students to take them out of class to go protest against Trump. This happened in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Amazing, isn't it? We predicted it exactly. How did we know? Because we've seen it all before. The playbook has already been run. And all you have to do is look at the possible outcome and you can guess what the reaction is. And we know the tools they use. We know how they do it. We've seen it before. And, the, you know, there's so many big scandals from this election cycle. We learned from Project Veritas, the Democratic uh, Clinton campaign, running money through the DNC, laundering it to pay to pay a consultancy to organize protesters to go to Trump rallies or events to start violent exchanges. In other words, to agitate and start violence and then bring in the news cameras to cover it. So they literally, it's Citizen Kane on acid. They're literally creating the story and then using that against their political opposition. Say, oh, look, Donald Trump, look at his supporters. They're so violent. They paid to send in the agitators for the expressed purpose of starting something for a news story. This is incredible. And then you have the candidate going on saying, look at their supporters at Donald Trump's events and they're violent and we can't have this is not American. She started it. Isn't that incredible? It wouldn't have happened. Okay, that's called Agent Provocateur 101. Unbelievable. Absolutely incredible. Now, <clears throat> what was priceless on the night was <clears throat> this one scene. This was covered by Fox. We'll show you this clip. Cher, one of, how many celebrities supported Hillary? I lost count. Uh, you, know, you can name them. Robert De Niro, 
uh, Katy Perry, uh, gosh, Miley Cyrus and all the rest of them, whoever. Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Jennifer Lopez, etc. Cher was also a big supporter. So Cher walks into the Hillary HQ. It was a big glass building they, they hired. I don't know how many millions they spent on their celebration party. Millions to deck out this uh, Javid Center in New York City. And Cher walks in, looks up at the tote board. Hillary's down by 50 electoral votes. She's with her entourage. Cher turns around, walks out, storming out, you know, all dressed up, ready for the party. And all of a sudden, (laughs) the party's not happening. And uh, everyone's sitting around in just disbelief, totally despondent, crying, consoling each other. Unbelievable. Roll this. uh, This is from Fox News on election night. This is Cher's meltdown. But it just gives you a little play-by-play of what was going on. Go ahead and roll that. See what we can do to Jen Griffin. She's over at the Clinton campaign headquarters. I bet she could do it too, but we like her, so let's see. Hey, Jen. Hi, Megan. Well, it's quite a different scene over here. There are campaign staff that we've seen in tears. Uh, the hall has emptied out quite a bit behind me. Uh, we just saw a very surreal scene where Cher walked in turned around, looked at the board, and walked back out. We just saw Donna Shalala, who is the uh, current head of the Clinton Foundation, walking out. She had her coat on. Uh, We saw Ken Salazar, who is heading Clinton's transition team. Uh, He just walked through the crowd. He had a very somber look on his face. Uh, A very different mood over here at Clinton headquarters, Megan. Any sign of Uma or... No, we have not seen Huma. We've not seen the uh, Hillary Clinton herself, um, but certainly um, the lower-level staff who we've been traveling with on planes uh, for the last uh, few months, uh, they are despondent, I would say. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's always sad on these nights to see the side that's, in this case, likely to lose, and soon we'll know one side has lost. Because they put so much effort into it, and you can feel their pain, and you can feel, you know, how badly they want it to happen. But when you look at this result tonight, Chris Wallace, you tell me whether people are going to consider that Anthony Weiner, in a way, helped bring down Hillary Clinton tonight. Sure. It did, I, I, certainly I mean, didn't help. They're going to look at it around a lot of things, and clearly the Clinton camp isn't going to blame Hillary Clinton. Right. They're not going to say, except for Neera Tandon, who seems to be the one truth teller in the group who will say she's well, emerged as the MVP of the WikiLeaks. Email. Yeah, absolutely. That. Uh, OK. You know, say- <clears throat> OK. So, you know, that's getting into some other issues. But, you know, WikiLeaks itself, uh, although it was very significant and it gave us an eye, uh, it opened the door to the cesspit and it allowed the public to look into the cesspit that is Washington, D.C., and to see just how dirty operators they are and what goes on behind the scenes. But it didn't decide this election. What it did, what WikiLeaks did, WikiLeaks didn't decide the election, although I'm sure it it did damage uh, Hillary Clinton somewhat. What it did was it validated the result, if if you can catch my drift there. So I don't think, I think people's minds were very much made up. And, you know, certainly the, uh, Clinton camp uh, licking its wounds right now would want you to think that there's a number of things like James Comey, the FBI director, or WikiLeaks that decided the election. But I think the election, for the most part, was decided uh, before that. And I think this is beginning to emerge in a lot of the data and numbers that 
that's coming out now. Um, so yes, it, it would have had us, it would have made an impact, but not a sweeping impact, but it has validated the result. And this was a referendum of many things. It was a referendum against the establishment. It was also a referendum against political correctness. And this, and unfortunately for the Clinton camp, they staked their entire campaign on the issue of political correctness. In other words, um, this isn't about policy. This is about Donald Trump's language, and we can't have that. And, uh, you know, we're better than that as a country, and we can't have this. So in hidden tapes and secret microphones of conversations Donald Trump had 10 years ago on a bus uh, with making lewd remarks, uh, sexist remarks to women. Now, most men will have heard that tape, and women too, by the way. Let's give them a little credit. And tell me they haven't heard that sort of language before, uh, even in the top boardrooms with the top CEOs, the, definitely the top uh, sporting personalities uh, in the country, probably politicians too. If you put a hidden mic on every congressman and senator, you'd be shocked at what they would have said in private. Uh, we might have remarks about many things, women, race, and so, etc., so to, to, to base entire campaign on a hidden tape uh, of, of a few minutes of commentary is kind of ridiculous. But that was how the campaign was framed. The Clinton campaign really relied on that. And so it was about political correctness. And so if you look at the result of this election, if it was a referendum on political correctness, then this means most of America rejects political correctness okay and this is another reason why these people people in are in a panic a lot of people who class themselves as liberals are in a complete panic because for eight years they've had a magic cloak and, and a force field that has been uh, generated by the uh, the obama white house that made pc the dominant regime in all discourse and what political correctness is when you really break it down, we can talk and we have talked about that in previous shows. I've done interviews on this. I've, I've spoken in public about it um, to even university students. I've lectured on it. What political correctness essentially is, is it's, des- it's, it's designed, it's a, a sort of, it's an unofficial or official regime of policing on language. Okay. And by policing the language, by legislating language, you're able to conceal what's really there. You're able to hide reality. You're able to cloud what's really there by wrapping it in politically correct language. Okay. And the problem with this is, and we've, we've seen this now, it's very, it can be very destructive because reality eventually breaks through. You can't, you can't restrain reality. And so, so often political correctness is used to obscure reality. And it's, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a wound or it's like, you know, putting a, a piece of Play-Doh in a hole in a dike. Okay. The water will eventually come through. The water of reality will flow through and you can't always, and it's not going to be pleasant. There's lots of unpleasantries in life. There's lots of things that are uncomfortable in life to talk about. And throughout history, man, you know, 
rightly or wrongly, successfully or not, has had to deal with that. And what they're trying to do is eliminate any conflict through a heavy regime of political correctness. Okay. And this is repressive in itself. And this was a referendum on political correctness, most certainly, and it lost. It was a referendum on the mainstream media, and they lost. It was a referendum on heretical, or sorry, Freudian slip there, hereditary political dynasties in America, and it lost. Okay. Now, the pendulum could swing the other way in four or eight years. Most certainly it will, and I expect it to. But that's the reality. Okay, it was a referendum on many things, including PC. So there's a lot of winners and there's a lot of losers in this one. This is a great. Uh, this is a great segment. Let's just roll this. This is um. This is uh, Max Kaiser. Listen to this. Roll this. This is Max Kaiser and Stacy Hebert. Stacy Hebert, Max's uh, other half, uh, was just brilliant. They're standing outside the Javid Center in New York where Clinton had her glass ceiling party. She was ready to shatter the glass ceiling uh, after a win on uh, on Tuesday night, and it didn't happen. Roll this. This is just brilliant. Max Kaiser here with the Kaiser Report, standing in front of the Jacob Javits Center in the lower west side of Manhattan, home of the most spectacular political flameout of American history. She came to rejoice. She left in a body bag. Hillary Clinton, probably never to be heard from again. What was supposed to be a celebration turned into a funeral. Oh, my God, what a catastrophe. Stacey. Max, the voters came. They saw what Hillary Clinton stood for, and she died a political death, a quite gruesome one, almost as gruesome as the one she inflicted upon Gaddafi of Libya. Now, uh, how did that death happen, is everybody asking, how did this death happen for Hillary Clinton? And it's quite fitting, as we said, that it happened at the Jacob Javits Center. So. I thought from the beginning, and we've covered it here in Kai's report, that the fact that she had said, we came, we saw, he died about Gaddafi, and then, <laughs> cackled. That should have disqualified her from the very beginning. But right now, as we speak in America, there's a lot of finger-pointing, and there's little self-reflection from the Beltway media. They're pointing the fingers at everybody else but themselves. Oh, exactly. I mean, th those moments in Libya were, were horrifying. And uh, Hillary Clinton seemed to think that they were amusing in some way. I think that scared a lot of people. Like, they don't want this person in the White House in the Oval Office to have their finger on the atomic weaponry because, quite frankly, she seems deranged and unhinged. So we won't be seeing that anytime soon. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting is that the reason she chose this venue is because of the glass structure, the glass ceiling, and that there was going to be a fireworks display to symbolize, to be a metaphor for a woman breaking through the glass ceiling. This was overplayed. I don't think really voters came to put a woman into the White House. That was maybe that could have been a factor 10, 15 years ago. I don't think that was really a factor this this year. I think it was sheer exhaustion from all of her wars. She proved she had the biggest cojones. She could kill as many people as possible. She could overthrow legitimate governments in Honduras and Ukraine, everywhere around the world, Syria, Libya, and she could do that, and everybody knew that, and they were like, you know what, we don't want that war. 
another interesting thing is while she did not concede here and she conceded over there she did the walk of shame down there huh. and she got there and she cried and nobody showed her any mercy just like they showed no mercy to Gaddafi the fact that the Jacob Javits Center as we had t- talked about the corruption the symbol of corruption that it is for me, looking forward, what happens to Hillary Clinton and this post-mortem situation of her political career is whether or not Goldman Sachs continues to pay her $400,000 for a speech, whether or not Saudi Arabia and Qatar decide to give them million, a million dollars as a birthday gift or $10 million or $25 million to the foundation. If they continue to do that, then we can say, well, maybe they aren't so corrupt, and maybe it wasn't pay-for-play, because they, uh, the Clintons are done for politically. They don't have a political career going forward. She's not going to have the power to give them paybacks, kickbacks for any of their donations. So it will be interesting to see in the f- weeks and months coming up whether she continues to command. Yeah, well, the Democratic... Okay, so that was uh, that was Max and Stacy Ma- Max Kaiser Kaiser Report, uh, great show, obviously an RT unplugged uh, episode there. But uh, boy, did they just really illustrate the major uh, collapse of the Clinton political machine. The Clinton Foundation, I predict, well, many people predicted this before the election that if uh, she lost, the money would dry up so fast it would look like a desert lake before too long so they're probably in the process of liquidating a lot of those assets and do you think anyone would put money in that all those all, all the, the the saudi arabians the qataris uh the bahrainis all the arab monarchies the oil kingdoms uh who are pumping money into the clinton foundation in return for access to the state department or favors that investigation is still alive by the way we might see more about that in the new year. But there's going to be no money putting out. It's over. It's over. And this shows you what it was. This proves what that foundation was to begin with. It was a political slush fund with very little of the money going to actually helping people on the ground. Something like six or between six and 10%. I bet if you audit it, it's probably even less. But. That's what it. It's now proven. That's what it was, and they were denying it the whole way. But watch how 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 quickly the money dries up, and you will see they're going to be in no man's land with this uh, huge organization. It will shrink back to the size of the presidential library, which is how it started in uh, 1999 or 1998. Anyway, so it's going back to where it should have been. And, uh, <laughs> wow, what a difference a day makes, as they say. And uh, so that's that's what's going on there. And uh, we'll go to the break in a minute. Uh, we'll go to the break in a minute. I just want to show you something else uh, before we go. So this, this is the clip from uh, Donald Trump and President Obama transition meeting this week. This wasn't really covered very much because uh, the mainstream media decided to focus on protests and riots instead. So, but go ahead and roll. This is uh, Obama and Trump. This was their meeting at the White House. Hour and a half meeting. It was only supposed to be, I think, 20 minutes. Turned into an hour and a half meeting. Here's what they said afterwards. Go ahead and roll that. This is CNN Breaking News. 
Wolf Blitzer. It's 1 p.m. here in Washington. Wherever you're watching from around the world, thanks very much for joining us. A remarkable meeting has just concluded at the White House. The president and the president-elect putting aside their animosity from the campaign to fulfill a time-honored tradition here in the United States, the peaceful transfer of power. President Obama welcomed President-elect Trump to the White House this morning. They said they had an excellent discussion. The meeting was supposed to last, at least according to Donald Trump, only 10 minutes, but according to the president-elect, it actually lasted almost an hour and a half. Uh, here's what they said at the end of the meeting. Well, I just had uh, the opportunity to have an excellent conversation with President-elect Trump. Uh, it was wide-ranging. We talked about some of the organizational issues uh, in setting up a White House. We talked about foreign policy. We talked about domestic policy. Uh, and as I said last night, my number one priority in the coming two months is to try to facilitate a transition that ensures our president-elect is successful. Uh, and uh, I have been very encouraged by the, uh, I think, interest in President-elect President uh, Trump's uh, wanting to work with my team around uh, many of the issues that this great country faces. And uh, I believe that it is important for all of us, regardless of party uh, and regardless of political preferences, uh, to now come together, work together, to deal with uh, the many challenges that we face. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, Michelle has had a chance to uh, greet the incoming First Lady, and uh, we had uh, an excellent uh, conversation with her as well, and we want to make sure that they feel welcome uh, as they prepare uh, to make this transition. And most of all, uh, I want to uh, emphasize to you, uh, Mr. President-elect, that, uh, that we now are going to uh, want to do everything we can to help you succeed, because if you succeed, then the country succeeds. Please. Well, thank you very much, President Obama. Um, this was a meeting that was going to last for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, we were just going to get to know each other. We had never met each other. Uh, I have great respect. Uh, the meeting lasted for almost an hour and a half, and it could have, as far as I'm concerned, it could, could have gone on for a lot longer. We really, um, we discussed a lot of different situations, some wonderful and some difficulties. Um, I very much look forward to dealing with the president in the future, including counsel, uh, who's... Uh, explain some of the difficulties, some of the the high-flying assets, and some of the some of the really great things that have been achieved. Uh, so, Mr. President, it was a great honor being with you, and I look forward to being with you many, many more times in the future. Thank you, sir. Okay, okay. So there, there it was. There it was. First time ever meeting Obama, Trump. And there it was. They had a, a apparently a productive meeting. And so that would be seen as a positive thing. Uh, but yet this, this isn't really what was focused on by the media. And I believe the protests were organized 
to cover these very things up. And in a way, this helps to delegitimize uh, the president-elect and the incoming administration. And so I, I think there will be more protests planned uh, probably up until Thanksgiving or Christmas, but then the students have to get home uh, for Thanksgiving, and then everyone's doing Christmas and getting drunk and high uh, over December. So I think it should peter out a bit in the new year. Uh, you're probably not going to see that much uh, because they'll have accepted by that point uh, that it's a fait accompli and, uh, you know, there's going to be a new president, whether you, whether you like him or not. And so he's definitely going to have his detractors forever, okay? And there's a huge anti-Trump block, and I'm sure that Democratic Party will want to use that to leverage and build uh, on the next election cycle uh, in 2020, without a doubt. This is, uh, they'll try to harness the negative energy and the anger and try to transform that into votes on the ground, without a doubt. So they've got a rallying cry. This will absolutely help them in the next election. So they will run off of uh, Trump. So whatever Donald Trump says, whatever he said in the past, it will be repeated, and it will stay in the minds of uh, liberal America, without a doubt. Uh, so we're going to take a short station break with uh, Alternate Current Radio, and we're going to connect our next guest, every man, Randy J on the ground in the great Brexit state of California. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back. Good news, boppers. The big alert has been called off. It turns out that the early reports were wrong, all wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home, sorry about that. I guess the only thing we can do is play you a song. 